0: i talk Stephen means andrew gillis and it's signing week the early signing period starts on wednesday december 20th and runs through friday which means ohio state will finally get to publicly talk about a recruiting class that, as we're recording this on sunday is the number two class in the country it's got 23 commits including a few five stars in it it's right there behind georgia and this monday pod in the tuesday pod we're gonna break down the class we're going to break down the offensive side of the ball on Monday, as you're, which is what you're listening to now. And then on Tuesday, we're going to do the same thing with the defense. The offensive side has kind of got the more positive right now, it, it feels like, just in terms of yeah. star power, but also just the number of offensive commits. Can we just run down let, – let's just, let's just run down the class. From top to bottom, actually, let's start from bottom to top because we know Jeremiah Smith is awesome, All so right. we don't have to start there. Let's start with Gabe Van Sickle. Gabe Van yep. Sickle. Let's start with him. Who is he yep. and why does he matter?
1: Yep, Gabe Van Sickle, 6'5", uh, 283-pound interior offensive lineman from Coopersville, Michigan. Uh, he's the number 614 player in the 2024 class. He is the number 13 player in Michigan, right? It is the number 42 player in the uh, 247 composite rankings. Uh, he committed on Thanksgiving. Uh, if you remember his commitment, he did his uh, commitment just a kid from Michigan, and he like did like that red X thing mm-hmm. that Ohio State fans do the week before the Michigan game. So I think he tried to uh, ingratiate himself with the fan base with that one. Um, but he was the fourth offensive line commit in this class, uh, he replaced Mark Knave, who left the class a couple of months, months, I think it was months, months earlier. And uh, Van Sickle joins as the second interior player in this
0: class. So that's one, as you said, one of four offensive linemen, and that's a guy who's expected to come in here and play on the interior. Yes.
1: Yeah, they're going to have okay. him come in and play on the interior. And, um, you know, like I said, that. He's a guy who I think you can move around a little bit. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he can play guard or center. Um, but he is a little bit bigger. You know, I did mention it. He's six foot five and you kind of watch him play a little bit. And and that's bigger for a guard. And like, we're going to talk about some guys that, you know, are, are coming in that, to, that can play tackle and yeah, they're a little bit bigger, but, Six foot five, you can kind of assume that to be tackle size. So, you know, having him start on the interior, I think, is interesting, and and I think you can you can get a really impactful run blocker if you get him in the middle.
0: Okay, that's actually I'm, I'm going to call an audible because I can't because I get the host this thing. Let's just talk about the offensive line in general. Yep, actually, because I do sense. think. That's a better way to group this than trying to go, here's number two, here's number three. So you said Gabe Van Sickles on the interior, Devontae Armstrong, one of the twins, is the other interior guys, yep. at least in how Ohio State is expecting to use them in the start of their career. And you've got Ian Moore and then Devontae, I mean, Deontay Armstrong Deontay and Devontae, as yep. your tackles. And so basically, you have everything but a center. So from a number standpoint, it seems like we're happy. But first, run down those four guys, where are they all in the ratings, and then we'll get into, you know how they fit into Ohio State's future plans.
1: Well, yeah, Devontae Armstrong's next in the ratings, 6'5", 297. Uh, He's number 464 in the composite rankings, the 19th ranked player in Ohio, uh, number 29 interior player. Um, Like I said, he is ranked a little bit lower than his twin brother because, frankly, I think positional value, you know, there is a little bit to be said for that. So they're pretty similar as players. Uh, as you might expect for twins that play next to each other on the offensive line that have the same gene pool that look exactly the same. So he just plays on the interior. He's kind of viewed as a guard and he's viewed as a player that when he gets here is going to play guard. Uh, He is an athletic player. Uh, You know, I went out and I saw him play St. Ed's play um, Hoban out of Akron. Uh, I saw him play, he and his brother, Deontay, they're really athletic players. And when you get to Deontay, Deontay, he's a little, he's, he's listed at an inch taller, 6'6", 280, uh, number 428 player in the class, 34 offensive tackles, 17th ranked player in Ohio. So ironically, there's a player in between them who's uh, also in Ohio State's class, but the in terms of the um in terms of the statewide rankings. Uh but Deontay there Deontay is the tackle and Deontay is what you would expect from an Ohio State offensive tackle compared to like a Michigan offensive tackle. Uh you know, you saw Roebuck out of Michigan when, you know, I when I went and saw him, Roebuck was definitely more of this put your hand in the dirt. I'm gonna just plow straight ahead and with, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust type of guy. Armstrong certainly is more of the athletic type of player. And you see the vision, I think with him, you know, he is, he is big and at 6'6", 280, there's a lot to kind of add on to that frame. Um He's not skinny by any means. I mean, he's, he's a big dude, but I think you see the vision like, man, if we can we can get this guy in a weight room because the offensive line is such a development position. That is what I think we're, we're going to talk about here in a second. People are going to look at this offensive line class and say, yes, enforcements are on the way. Yes, we need, we need some new blood. Well, not exactly. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that here soon. Uh, and then the last guy, Ian Moore, he's still listed on two, four, seven as a, uh, as an interior offensive lineman. That's not where Ohio state sees him. Ohio state does see him as a tackle. Um, so you're talking about a guy, he's listed at 65 295 I think he's a little bit bigger than that. Um, you know, he's got the, uh, he's got the size to play tackle. Um, I think the thing that I saw him play, he, he did struggle with a speed rush and then learn to pick it up. Um, but I just think for him, for Ian Moore, really technical, technical, really, fundamentally sound player, you know, a guy that when you look at, you say, okay, this guy's not going to make a lot of mistakes and you really high floor, I think would be the saying with Ian Moore. So he's going to come in and play tackle. So with, uh, with those four guys, I think you're looking at an offensive line class who Ohio State feels good about, uh, obviously the fans don't feel great about, uh, obviously the fans want it. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, look, I, You saw our tech subscriber messages, I'm sure, when Jordan Seaton didn't commit. Um, You know, you saw what, you know, what people were kind of worried about with the offensive lineup. Jordan Seaton, he was the, uh, I think he was the 15th ranked player in the country, uh, number one offensive tackle, five star player. He was the kind of guy that Ohio State wanted to reel in just for his talent, but, you know, kind of what he would have signified. He's not from the area, from D.C., played his high school football in Florida. He committed to Colorado, and that kind of left fans feeling worried. So, I think fans should have been worried a little bit even if he didn't commit about the offensive line because the offensive line is, if you're relying on freshmen, something has gone either really well or really poorly because the offensive line is a really, really development position, and it's going to take a while for these guys to get in, get in the weight program, and kind of get up to Big Ten level strength, and that's nothing against these guys. It's just that's what happens along the offensive line for 98% of offensive linemen. So. That's what you see when you have this class. You got a class of four guys. They would have taken five if it would have been Seton. But, uh, you know, right now they're good with four. And, and that's what looks like it's going to sign on Wednesday.
0: Now, as you mentioned before, they did have Mark Nabe, number 659 player, number 44 interior offensive lineman. But he did decommit in September. And what was just seemed the vibe around that was that that was more of a mutual <laughs> decision than it was something that kind of caught Ohio State off guard. He's since flip to Kentucky and as a part of their class, but to talk about this offensive line a little bit more, I don't think anybody was ever expecting anybody to come in here and start as a true freshman, maybe not even Jordan Seton or Brandon Baker or any of those, you know, Gary Lambert or any of those highly high end guys that they were in on at one point. But we have seen this run of Ohio state offensive linemen who are starting in year two, whether you go back to Harry Miller taking a job in 2020 as a five-star Former center now in his second year, or you look at Paris Johnson starting in year two. He didn't start at tackle, but he started at guard as a five-star recruit. Donovan Jackson, the same way, started in 2022 as a second-year guy. You haven't. And then Carson Hensman did it this year, but obviously that was less about him and more about Luke Whipple right. leaving earlier than you were expecting. But still, that continued that run of second-year guys. Are there any guys that you look at of these four? that can be on that level of trajectory, just from a talent standpoint, who, whether they actually do it or not, because that's also dependent on what the room around you needs and what's in the room, but do you see any of these guys putting themselves in a position where they could compete for a job in year one? I mean, excuse me, in year two. It,
1: yeah, not in year one. In, in year two, I would look at so two guys I would look at would be Deontay Armstrong, the uh, the tackle twin, and then Ian Moore. And I think, number one, I think because they've got the ability, I think with Ian Moore, it's going to be kind of adjusting to college level speed on the outside. Um, you know, that's something when when we talked to him and when I talked to his coach earlier in the year, that was something that he was like, hey, I'm getting better at and I need to keep getting better at. You know, Ian was one of those guys who he's always he he just kind of had that mindset of like continual growth and perpetual growth. And that's something you want to see. So I think when you get him in a weight room and kind of get him adjusted to that, that's going to be big. And I think with Deontay Armstrong, it's going to be a little bit of, hey, look, you know, let's Give you a year in a weight room and then let's get you out on the outside because with Ohio State's tackles, I think you look at the room and see, you know, Josh Simmons and and Josh Fryer, the two guys right now, maybe they're the two tackles in 2024. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's like Luke Montgomery and Josh Simmons, but either way you're probably going to be looking for a tackle in 2025. And I think that there's going to be room open for one of those guys. So, so I would look to one of those guys because I think that they've got, you know, after a year in the weight room, you can certainly do that, but I think the opportunity is going to be there too. And that key word is opportunity and opportunity is just as big a lot of times as, uh, as talent.
0: So if you had to give this offense, Justin Fry a grade for the recruiting aspect of this, uh, obviously, I mean, we can discuss, your on-field product this year all day, but since this is a recruiting pod, you're talking about no top 100 recruits. Your highest recruit is Ian Moore, who is 138. He was top 100 at some points during his recruitment here, but he that's your highest guy is 138. And then your other guys are 614, 464, and 428. That's, three, four, that's two four-stars and two three-stars. And you're saying that only maybe two of them would be in a position to actually compete for a job in year two, which I mean that's probably the quality part of it, but that's the facts is that no top 100 recruits, no five stars, your highest is 138, and the rent in your other three are all lower than 420. I guess when if I asked you to grade Justin Fry and this offensive line recruiting, what would you give him? The offensive line is the hardest position
1: that we will have to grade, I think when you look at this, because go I you know I, I wrote about this earlier in the year because there was a lot of worry when Brandon Baker, when Brandon Baker committed elsewhere. You know, he was another five-star tackle that Ohio State was, they were in on, but they were not as in on as, as they were with Seton. Not to say that they didn't want him, they would have taken him, uh, is so that they, they just weren't as close as some of the other programs. The offensive line is the hardest program to identify because I think there were like 13 give or take players in the 2023 class that were in the top 100 of the composite rankings. And I think they committed to like 10 or 11 schools. So you look at the schools that these guys commit to, and there's not a ton. So I I do want to give that caveat that like offensive line is a remarkably dependent development position. It's not kind of like some of these other positions. So, you know, I'm going to say a C plus um, I think because you, you needed that, you needed that home run swing, right? You needed that, I, I think, because I think you can say, you, you look at this class, I, I, I like the Armstrong Twins. and and one of the things that I think you should start to do or fans should start to do is is maybe look at some of these offers, you know, maybe over, look at the offers over the rankings. You know, the Armstrong Twins had some some nice offers. Florida, Georgia, Michigan, they have a good good offensive line, if you hadn't heard. Uh, Penn State, you know, uh, South Carolina, Wisconsin, they've got a really good offensive line too, if you haven't heard. So, like, the offers for the Armstrong Twins were big. Um, I think Ian Moore is a really, really high-floor player. And I think fans would feel a lot better about this class if you had a Brandon Baker coming in, if you had a Gerby Lambert coming in. If you had a Jordan Seton coming in, like if you had a top 100 player who just was like, "Wow, this dude should be starting in 2025," like should be starting. We just talked about guys who could be starting. We're talking about guys who should be starting. Like if you had that guy in the class, I think that this grade gets higher. But I'm going to say C plus right now because again, you do want to reserve judgment. And I think the guys that you're bringing in are great singles. I think you hit a double maybe here and there, but eventually you're going to have to hit a home run and you just didn't do that. So I think a C plus right now is where I would leave this class. Plus I would like, I would take five offensive linemen every cycle. I think that's a position, especially at Ohio state where they're at right now.
0: You, you just need to, you need to upgrade. So when you look at this class and I have the depth chart, I, I put them all in a, not really a depth chart. I just put them all in a starting yeah. 11. They have a starting 10 right? Because they don't have a center in this, a guy who's expected to come in and play center in this class, or at least a third interior offensive lineman in general. Ian Morgay Van Sickle, Devontae Armstrong, Deontay Armstrong. I don't know if that's ever going to be the starting guards and tackles at Ohio State altogether, but those guys are going to be the heart of a room at some point i'm assuming that they make it their entire careers here which we have to say that i mean we're living in the era of the transfer portal and an IL and all that stuff so just because a kid signs on signing day doesn't mean he's going to spend this entire four or five year career at a place and that's everywhere but when you look at that and you project that out two or three years from now when especially you're expecting these guys to really be in it year two is the the best a uh, best case scenario in terms of a guy being ready to go on the offensive line because it is a a developmental position but year three and year four maybe i mean it's kind of go time as we saw with josh fryer this year when you project out two or three years from now if those are the guys who are the oldest guys in the room or at least the heart of the room do you think ohio state is going to have to still be correcting this problem in the transfer portal
1: i you know you lean yes in two years in three years mm, i don't know um You know, in two years, I think like you know, in two years, if if two of these guys are starting, I'm picking up the phone and I'm calling a lot of people in the transfer portal. You know, if you if you get to uh, if you get to 2025 and you're like, hey, we're gonna start uh, Ian Moore and we're gonna start uh, Devontae Armstrong at guard, and I would say, okay you're probably calling up the transfer portal. But unless those dudes are just like, all right, man, these guys, first round picks, like these dudes are dudes. You know, if, if that's the conversation you're having, sure. But I, I I just think that the offensive line position, it's you're really not going to know until like 25, 26, what you got with this room. Um, You mentioned it with the portal where, You know, you're not sure everybody's going to stay. It feels like those like horror stories you hear from like a really hard college class or something like that, where the professor says, hey, guys, look to your left. Now look to your right. One of you won't be here in two years. And like, that's kind of the reality of this thing, right? And that's kind of the thing. That's kind of the whole, you know, that's kind of the whole thing with this. And I, I think one of the things that would lead me to say that Ohio State could develop some of these guys, Ian Moore's from just east of Indianapolis. And uh, Gabe Van Sickles from Coopersville, Michigan, and the Devontae Armstrong or the Armstrong twins are from St. Ed's up in Lakewood. So these guys are not – you're not pulling them out of California. And if they're not playing in 2025, they're going to be like, all right, screw this. I'm out. You know, you, you, you have – you know, I'm going back home. You you have a little bit of leeway, I think, with that. Um, they're and, already and, home. I talk, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I talked to Josh Fryer <laughs> about that um, during his, uh, press conference last week, you know, you know, I wrote a story about it when one of the things he said was like, yeah, I did consider transferring and yeah, I did consider leaving. It was a temptation, but one of the things that did make it easier was that I was close to home and I knew that it was a development position. So yeah, I, I I think you probably want to say that for every position that you're going to have to upgrade the transfer portal upgrade in the transfer portal for everywhere. So I'll say two years, yes, three years, maybe, uh, but I, I am, I would be pretty aggressive at a lot of positions in the portal and, and this would certainly be one of them. So, I, you know, I'm just going to say
0: yes. Two tight ends in this class, Andrew, that's been yep. a goal of Ohio state now for a couple of years and they've gotten close. They were close last cycle when they brought in Jelani Thurman and they had Ty Lockwood who ended up, who was their first commit in that 2023 class? But then obviously he ended up flipping to Alabama. Someone offered him because that was a dream offer. They tried to do it, I believe, in 2021, two, Yeah, 2022 when they brought in Bennett Christian. They had another guy, I can't remember his name right now, but he ended up flipping to Virginia Tech. So this has been a goal for a long time to get a two tight end class. And it does seem like Ohio State is on par here to do that. Who are their tight end commits? So we'll start with the uh, the one that doesn't get me excited. Well, I, that
1: no, that's mean. I don't want that to sound mean. Because this is the more traditional guy. This is the guy who is in line okay, with- Okay, what- all right.
0: See, now that you're putting the context behind not get you excited, I got, I understood. Because I thought you were going to go with the other guy and I was, we were going to have a whole conversation about it. But go ahead. Yeah,
1: <laughs> this, is, this is the guy who you look at and you say- now this, this is a guy who is Cade Stover, right? Like this is a guy who's gonna play the position as you know, tight end. And the, and I don't want that to sound anything there's nothing wrong with that, because Max LeBlanc um, is the highest rated tight end in their class. Uh, he is the uh, when you look at the two four seven composite rankings, number two seventy one player in the class, number sixteen tight end, number five player in Tennessee,, uh, he's a really good football player. Um you know this guy, he's at a Baylor School out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's a guy who, again, tight end is another development position. You're going to hear that a lot when we talk on these recruiting pods. Tight end is another really development position. It's a development position when you get to college. It's a development position when you get to the NFL. It's just something that takes time because you have to learn how to block and you have to learn how to get out in the open space and make catches. And especially in this offense where you are not the featured guy, you have to kind of find your niche and find your role. So LeBlanc is the guy who – when you look at him, you see a guy who at six, three and a half 222, you kind of grow into a mold here of, um, you know, you kind of grow into a mold of a player that, you know, you look at what he can do and he's just a, he's a versatile guy, but it's versatile in the way that, you know, you watch his huddle tape, he's lined up at tight end, he's lined up at fullback. He's kind of lined up at like a wing type position. Like he he has lined up on the outside. So, you know, he's got some some explosion there and you can add weight to his frame. And I think you could fit him into a role that really kind of diversifies how you use him in the backfield and, and different types of things. So LeBlanc for me is a guy that he is the he is the player of the more traditional mindset, the more traditional. This is what our tight ends do. And this is what is just going to fit naturally with Ohio State's offense. Now, the other one is Damarian Witten out of Glenville in Cleveland. And this is the guy who you watch play football and you think, oh, this is different. This is different than what we have seen because Witten plays receiver at Glenville. Like Witten is a player who you watch at Glenville and you watch his you watch his huddle tape and you go, huh? This dude is gonna play tight end for Ohio State. He's gonna he's gonna they're gonna have him play huh? He's six for four, two fifteen. And again, you see the vision there. You see the vision because He's a guy who you watch his you watch his highlight tape. There was a uh, Stephen. You I think you might have been there. I mean, I'm sure you were there. There was a play. If you watch it, he made this ridiculous catch in the end zone. I saw it on one of the like one of the camps that were. It was at the it was at the Woody. Um, you know, oh, he just yeah, made yeah, this yeah. crazy catch in the corner of the end zone, and you're like, this this is this is a tight end, and he's a receiving tight end in every way, shape, and form for Ohio State. And he's a guy who he brings a different skill set to the room that I think is going to really excite fans to talk about. It excites me to talk about if you haven't paid attention. Uh, He's number 457 player in the class, number 28 tight end, number 18 player in Ohio. He's a guy who is certainly going to be a more development tight end at the traditional tight end aspect. You know, if you're talking – you know, hey, put his hand in the dirt. Have to go block people. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be an adjustment for him. He's he's not as big as some of the other tight ends that they're bringing in. He's much more raw as a blocker. I just told you he plays receiver a lot at at Glenville. That's a guy who, you know, hey, look, it, it's it, it's gonna take a little bit for him to play tight end in a traditional role. However, you can get creative with this guy, like you can't with some of the other players on this in this tight end room. And I think that that is the exciting thing. And this is a guy when you talk vertical threat, you hear this a lot with teams stretch the seam, stretch the safeties, put pressure on the linebackers, do all those type of things. This is a guy that can do that. This is a guy that can get you some mismatch. This, this, I'll put it like this defensive coordinators do not want a game plan against a guy like Damarian Witt. You don't. Because when you've got the receivers that Ohio State has, that's a problem in its own, right? When you, like when you're adding the receivers in this class that Ohio State is, and when you get down the line when these guys are, you know, sophomores, juniors, seniors, this is going to be a problem for, for coordinators, obviously, for defensive coordinators to try and stop. This guy makes things unique because he can do things in the tight end position and you can move him around to the slot. And he's just got great burst. He's athletic as all get up. He just looks like a player who just he gives you this different dynamic that you just haven't seen out of Ohio State tight ends a lot in the last handful of years. And and I'm I'm really excited to see how he does in Columbus and and frankly how Ohio
0: State uses him. Well, no, let me start with LeBlanc. Uh, LeBlanc, to your point, is a more traditional, what you're used to seeing at tight end in that situation. And fun fact, he actually committed two sacks before they, Ohio State kicked the ball off for the spring game, so that was a fun time. It was a very fun time You try to cover a spring game, but also talk about breaking news. The thing that's interesting about DeMire and Wooden, and I was there that day, Andrew, I know he's listed at 6'4", 215. He is not 6'4". He's not He's not 6'4". He's more <laughs> 6'2". He's much closer to 6'2", but that's not, that's the, not why I'm saying that. He's one of those guys where you almost throw out the rankings because nothing about him right now or anything he's had to ever do as a football player is even close to what he's going to be having to do as a tight end at Ohio State. And I don't want to... its Him and G-Scout are not the same caliber of player coming out of high school. Obviously, g Scott was a top 100 recruit coming out of high school. But it's, it's one of those things where I thought g Scott had a pretty solid year. But I am wondering if G. Scott knew from day one, even as a top 100 recruit, that, hey, your best role, your your best trajectory as an NFL player is if you just go to tight end right now right. and not spend a year playing wide receiver at Ohio State before you make that decision. I wonder how much better G. Scott would be right now. I, and I'm thinking about that through the lens of Demary Witten, where, to your point, yes, I think it's one of those situations where I mean, he's a guy in the 400s, so if he just ends up being depth during his career, okay, cool. That's what we're expecting. But if it hits, if this hits, and especially since he's not the first tight end in this class, you're bringing him in with another guy, so you do have the more traditional situation. You've still got Jelani Thurman in the room. That tight end room is actually pretty deep. In terms very of bodies, yeah in terms, very, of experience. Very in t- yeah. in terms of experience, it's not deep, but I mean, just names, butts and seats, Jelani Thurman, G Scott, even with Joe Royer leaving, you still got Sam Hart, Bennett Christian, as I mentioned before, Benji, Benji Gosnell, that was the guy that was committed alongside Bennett Christian in that 2022 class before he flipped to Virginia Tech. I just, I didn't want to, that was sitting in the back of my head. But it's a lot of, it's a lot of names and a lot of guys who probably need to start doing something in that room, especially if Kate Stover leaves the way we're expecting him to leave after this year. But Damarian Witten is an interesting player, Andrew, because if that hits, it has the chance to be super, super, super special because that means Keenan Bailey and Ryan Day and the rest of the staff would have seen something in that kid because he's going to look physically much different three years from now. I think physically he might have the biggest transition of anybody yeah. in this class because, I mean, you can't play tight end at six foot 6'2", six six two, 215 pounds You're, in any conference. You can you play, play a receiver
1: at that. You cannot play tight yeah. end, yeah.
0: And so, like, he's going to put on, like, 35 pounds, 40 pounds yeah. and just actually learn the position. I do think something where if we check back in on this in 2026, 2027, and Keenan Bailey's, like, if he's still a tight end coach here, of course, because that guy's a rising star and, and assistant in coaching college football, but whoever the Titans coach, if you go, hey, how's Demarion doing in year, in year three? And they go, Oh yeah, oh that's that's coming along nicely. I think fans can get excited about that. But that's not I that's not one where you need to be checking in on it at any time in the next year and a half here, Andrew.
1: Well can I so the thing that I keep thinking about too with with Witten is can he be special enough to where Ohio State. So, <laughs> to peel back the curtain a little bit, this is not about tight end or about recruiting or about anything like that. Steven and I, uh, for the, in September or something like that, we get, got gotten in a, not an argument but a debate where I said like Ohio State should be using a scholarship on just like this five foot nine gadget player. You you have him return kicks, you have him return punts, and you just throw him out there in like a almost like a Percy Harvin type role. He can play running back, play receiver, play in the slot. And you can use this kind of Swiss army knife as this whatever. And Steven and I got in this debate about why that's good, why that's bad, why you shouldn't do that, why you should. I wonder if Witten can be special enough to where Ohio State looks at their offense and goes, all right, nah, like we got to change this up because we got to put this guy in the slot. Because we gotta we gotta get this guy on the field, like we got, Because and I think it, it, when you look at the tight end position, you say development, and you mentioned three years down the line. And I agree with you in a traditional sense, but I'm wondering if there are certain sub packages, like in like 2025, where you look at with this dude, where like towards the end of the season, where you look at and you're like, man, if we put this guy on the field on third and 12, that's a mismatch for the defense. And that, or, you know, even, even first and 10, if we put him down, you know, you might tip your hand a little bit that you're throwing the ball and that might be a problem because you don't do that. But if you put him out on the field, like, I wonder if there are certain situations where a guy like that could see the field. And I wonder if that's unique. And I wonder if he's unique enough to where you can make that trade off and say, you know what? He's not as ready to play a full time position as some of these other guys, but he does this one thing really well. And we can get him on the field in these particular situations. And I wonder if that could be the arc for him.
0: It's intriguing, but they're not gonna do that. And it's because Yeah, right. They gotta I mean, trust yeah. you. They gotta trust you to be able to do the basic stuff before they start doing unconventional stuff with you right because yeah when they did it with mitch rossi it was because he was they trusted him enough to do normal tight end stuff that they put him out there in the fullback role and you're seeing it this year with chip Trainum, where they trusted him enough to do just the normal stuff you're supposed to do as a running back so now we can add this on top of the play i don't know if ohio state's in the business of creating gadgets players and that's what the conversation was about when we were talking about the little receiver and ohio state in fact the last little receiver ohio state recruited they're gonna play him on december 29th and that's mookie cooper who transferred six months into into his career here to missouri and he's had Mm -hmm. a pretty quality career here but he was but he's just he's also just being used as a normal wide receiver at missouri i i I understand i always understood where andrew was coming from with that but i don't know if in year two one demarion winton's going to be physically ready to sure, help you right. on a saturday on top of everything else that's going to have to come with if you can't do the basic things we need you to do as a tight end why should we trust you to do all these other things and that's yeah. why i think interesting upside interesting upside kind of Dewan Jones', jones's where it's like really you look at that and you go really but it's like yeah but if it hits it might be pretty <laughs> awesome and yeah. Dwanjo's hit and he was pretty awesome here. Two years. It's starter, like that, it's and like that was...
1: parlay that's like plus 5,000 or something like that. Yeah. You say, you show it to your friends and you're just like, and you like show it to them and you're like, Hey man, look, it's got the Panthers to beat the Falcons. And they're like, what are you yes. talking about? And you're like, look, man, if the Panthers beat the Falcons, tell me where else on this parlay slip, it doesn't mm-hmm. else make sense. And you're like, I'm just telling you, my bank account's going to look fat if that man hits and. I think that's what you're looking at. So, it's you just need like one or two things to go right. And if they do yeah. go right, it's going to look real somebody somebody in Ohio State's front and recruiting and
0: and coaching staff is going to look very 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 smart. Very low risk, high reward for so many yes. reasons. I mean, for starters, it's the third He's the third you know, commitment you've gotten from Glenville during the Ryan Dare. Obviously, Arville Reese already on the roster as a linebacker, but it feels like he might be transitioning to defensive end. We'll get into Bryce West when we do the defensive side of the ball. He's the highest ranked other than Glenville guys. that gotten over the year now The Marion Whitton, who is also from Glenville. So one, it's a pipeline that you very much need to reestablish, and you're clearly doing that. It's a kid from two hours away, so it's not like a year and a half from now. You're maybe all that worried about him leaving, though. I mean, sometimes, listen, the NIL and transport, so much of that math has changed. But in theory, you would think that a kid from Glenville would be willing to stick around at Ohio State long term. So you're not worried about that. You didn't choose him over some dude, some tight end around the country who's like the next Travis Kelsey. Right. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, you chose him over another guy. So from every angle, there's not Brock thought, powers that you yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like from every it's a very low risk, high reward type of pick, type of signing for Ohio State that could pay off in a couple of years. We're gonna take a quick break there. Also get the text. Six one four-three five oh three three one five signing day, signing week, early signing period stuff coming to you all week long, along with you know transfer portal news that might be coming. News analysis everything you want surveys everything get the text 614 350 3315 when we come back those were the trenches now we're going to talk about skill players and you know, we are to talk about the guys who get the magazine covers the guys with the fives attached to their stars when we come back here on buckeye talk signing day is on wednesday december 20th and we'll run through friday december 22nd that's the early signing period as ohio state looks to sign all 23 of its currently committed players in this 2024 recruiting class ranked second nationally we're working through the offensive side of that right now with steven means and andrew gillis we did offensive linemen and tight ends in the first segment we're going to do running backs wide receivers and uh i don't know i guess quarterbacks pretty important we should talk about it too but we're gonna start with running back for right now two running backs as of right now andrew let's just like we'll get into that in, in our third segment if anything could be happening with guys in the in this class but like right now The fact is Ohio state has two running back commits. Is that correct? That
1: is incorrect. Uh, Ohio state has three running back commits at this moment. Uh, You have Sam Williams Dixon out of uh, Pickerington North. He is the number 600 player in the, uh, in the two, four, seven composite rankings. Uh, number 47 player at running back, number 21 player in the state of Ohio. Uh, Steven has written about this extensively, so I'll let him kind of talk about this when we get there. They are recruiting him genuinely as an athlete. like They're going to start him at running back and see kind of how this goes, and we're going to see what happens. Um, And then you have Jordan Lyle as of recording this Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Uh, He is the number 152 player in the class, Number twelve running back, the number twenty player in the state of Florida. However, uh, he is on a visit to Miami, or he just wrapped up a visit to Miami. Again, as we are recording this, um, he has been projected by multiple recruiting outlets to flip to the Canes. Um, One of the things that you do look at, you know, there there are star rankings, and there are things you can look at. I mentioned, hey, maybe you know, star rankings are one thing, but maybe look at the offers and kind of see where the offers are coming from. Um, Well, one of the things you want to look at too is visits and um, you know, he committed to Ohio state on, uh, on April 29th. Uh, He did take his official visit to Ohio state over the summer. Um, And then September 9th took an unofficial visit to Miami, October 7th took an unofficial visit to Miami, October 28th took an unofficial visit to Miami and December 15th. He took his official visit to Miami. So you look at it and you see, you know, a couple of different things. People have gotten so up in arms about this NIL thing that, oh, it's, you know, he just wants to go for the NIL. He plays football at St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale, and that is 30 miles away from Coral Gables. You could say NIL, you could scream and yell and say, this is this, this is money. I think this is just a... I think this is... I'm sure... But I also think a big part of this, too, is a South Florida kid just wants to stay home and play for a South Florida team. Like, I, I think that it's that – Sure, I understand that.
0: No, but no, no. no. It, it, it's two it's.
1: It's two things. Staying closer it can to be home two things. And it's but NIL. everybody's just going to say it's only NIL and it's only this and that's fine. And it's only – look, man, like if this, that, and the other – he's a South Florida kid and South Florida kids typically stay in the state of Florida, whether that's to go to Miami or Florida state or Florida. And sometimes you just want to see where your friends are. So yeah. NIL could can play a big part of it too, but it's also just, he's from the area of South Florida and he like, that's a thing that people in Florida do a lot. So the NIL thing, again, I understand. I understand it. I do. I understand people who just want to say, Oh, well it's only NIL. And it might even be majority NIL as Steven is saying, but it's also that it's a Florida thing and, and, and that is to be expected. So I would keep an eye out for a flip this week. Um, you know, I I mean, maybe you're listening to this and he has already flipped. Um, but I would kind of keep that in mind that, um, he will probably not be a part of Ohio state's class, but you never know. Um, Someone who almost certainly will be a part of Ohio State's class is uh, James Peoples. He's out of San Antonio, Texas. He's the number 95 player in the class, four-star running back, number seven running back in the class, number 17 player in the state of Texas, which is crazy to me that per the 247 composite rankings, you can have a top 100 player who is not a top 15 player in the state of Texas which is just unbelievable that I know Texas is, I know Texas is big. That's just a crazy state. How, how good they play their high school football. This guy is the guy that you should be looking at as a unique player. Um, you know, he's a, he's a Texas track and field athlete. He is a guy who I think when you look at he's five foot 10, 192 pounds, he's, he does everything really well. And he's a player. I think when you talk about what could happen to this room, moving forward. I mean, we've talked about the guys on previous podcasts, who's leaving, who's not, you know, who's going to hang around, who might hang around, Trevon Henderson. James Peoples is a guy who uh, you you look at and see, all right, man, like this dude could, this dude could see some time in his freshman year. Like, like this dude could very well have an opportunity. And I think it's because of his talent level. I think, like I said, you're going to trust him to do a lot on day one, you know, you're not going to worry about him. He's not a guy who he's coming in and he needs to gain some weight or he needs to kind of learn how to play high level of football. He's coming out of San Antonio, Texas. You know, kind the, of the, the, he just kind of checks, checks all these boxes, and you're going to feel really good about him coming in. And then there's going to be an opportunity there because even if Trevion Henderson does come back, I mean, your running back room, your top two is Trevion Henderson and Dallin Hayden, and then you got a question mark at number three. And even if you're going to bring in a guy – He's going to be competing for that, and as you saw this year, Ohio State will play their third guy on the depth chart at running back, especially in these kind of blowout type games. So I would look at James Peoples as a guy who he he's he might see some pretty extensive action in his freshman year. So back when both
0: of these guys, back when James Peoples committed, and it was very clear that they were going to try to get two running backs again in this class like they did in 2021 with Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor. I remember talking with some people like, okay, who's the other guy? Who do they want to get with the other guy? And Jordan Lyle's name. Was at the top of that list, so James Peoples and Jordan Law—they got the guys they wanted in this class, and there are people who are very high on both of these guys. While potentially neither of these guys being in the same situation that maybe Trayvon Henderson was in when he first got here as a freshman, twenty twenty-one, or J.K. Dobbins was in when he first got here in twenty seventeen, as these high level guys who also had to step into significant roles from day one, like J.K. Dobbins started his first game. I was a Ohio State football player and ran kind of crazy on Indiana. Trade they slow played it. But, I mean, you saw it in like three touches They get to Minnesota, what it was. And who was going to be a starting running back by the time the actual, by the time the season was done. And then two weeks later against Tulsa, he does it again. And then it's kind of off from there. He's yeah. a starting running back as a freshman. I, I don't think James Peoples or Jordan Lyle has to be that. Especially, I mean, if, if Trey comes back, then they definitely don't have to be it because that's your starting running back. But even if he doesn't come back, Dallin Hayden has shown you enough that I think he's your starting running back if Trey doesn't come back next year. And this becomes a conversation of, if Trey leaves, James Peoples or Jordan Lyle is probably your number three. But if Trey goes, James Peoples and Jordan Lyle are probably your two and three in whatever order you want to put them in, which I think is a good place for the running back to be. And they probably do need to go find a portal guy, though, just for the sake of depth. Regardless of what Jordan Lyle does or doesn't do, that might decide if they get a couple of portal portal guys. But I think Andrew, this the running back room is in a healthy. I don't know to say healthy because they've been dealing with real health situations, but <laughs> is in a good place in terms of upside and talent going into twenty twenty four. I agree, uh, but I do think you like let's let's just say
1: doomsday scenario for the running back room. Uh, Henderson decides that he's going to go play in the NFL and that is something that he can do. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about this and Steven, you were telling people before it happened that, Hey, Trayvon Henderson truly has not decided no matter what you hear, he has not decided. And then he came out and said it, uh, he came out and said, Hey guys, I have not decided. Um, so let's just say he does decide to go play in the NFL, which good for him. Uh, then you're talking about one returner on a room that had Evan Pryor and Chip Trainum and Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson in it. You had got you had five guys and there would be one left. Um, then you need to go get a portal guy. Uh, not, not want you need a portal guy. Um, and then let's say Jordan Lyle decommits. Then you're looking at a room of Dallin Hayden and James Peoples and Sam Williams Dixon. And that's three. And that's not good enough. You'd, definitely need one and at that point you might need two with the portal thing however i do think i do think that there is a it's a little bit like drafting in the NFL draft there's a reason why you don't take a center with the fourth overall pick or an off-ball linebacker with the sixth overall pick. I do think you can find a guy, you know, you can find a running back later in the portal in the first cycle. You can find a running back in the spring cycle. You can find a guy to kind of supplement that room. But I do think the health of this room is in a good spot, even if you do lose Lyle, because James, you, you like what you have in James Peoples, and I think you feel good about him contributing in uh, in his first year. And I mean, if you have a one-two punch where you have to go into next year of you know Hayden and Peoples I I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be okay with that um, especially if you have a third guy coming in as like a veteran transfer so I I think you have to feel good about where this running back room is right now
0: the interesting thing here will be I think Travion Henderson's decision might decide what type of running back to go after because if he leaves and you probably need to go find a guy to be at the top of the room versus him returning you might just need to go find, or at least compete
1: piece. for the top of the room. Yeah, you, you maybe not yeah, the exactly. true bona fide number one, but at least be a guy Correct. who you could say, "Hey, you're going to come in and you're going to see significant touches, and you're going to have to earn and everything <laughs> after that." But you're going to get some ball. You're going to get some touches.
0: That's what, uh, and that feels disrespectful to Jeremiah McClellan. Three guys right now in the class, and Andrew Brian Hartline did it again. He found some really good wide receivers. I'm I, I'm running out of ways to describe how
1: good this room. Lowest ranked player in this class. In the receiver class, I should say, because he's the number forty-nine player in the country. He's a top fifty recruit, and he's the third player in their rankings at this position. That's ridiculous. He's a four-star player. Uh, he's uh, approaching five-star status. Uh, he's number thirteen receiver in the country. He's number three player in the state of Missouri. Uh, six foot one ninety. Then you go up to Milan Graham. He's a five-star player out of New Haven, Indiana. Six foot one, one seventy. Number twenty-two player in the country. Seven receiver. Number one player in the state of Indiana. Then you get to Jeremiah Smith, who's obviously the big fish that everybody is very excited about. 6'3, 198. He's the number one player in the class. The number one player at everything you look at. Receiver in the state of Florida. In. The rankings for some people, he's one of the better receiving prospects they've ever seen. Uh, He's out of Shamanad Madonna Prep, out of Hollywood, Florida. So that's the receiver room. It's three bona fide. Oh my goodness! Holy crap! Brian Hartline did it again. Receivers, right? And, And like, I, I, I just I look at this room, and you look at some of these guys. Like Jeremiah McClellan is the lowest ranked player. And he's a dude who would be the number one receiver for a lot of programs in the country in terms of their recruiting. You know, he's a, you know, he's a good stocky built guy. You know, he's a track, he's a track athlete too. I think you see, you hear that a lot with a lot of these guys, you know, like this is a bona fide fast dude you know this isn't one of those possession type receivers um you know he's got good ball skills you go to mylon graham i mean steven we only saw him play you know the night before the notre dame game we only saw him play a handful of series but that dude just has a different level of quickness to him a different level of speed to him you know they used him in every way shape and form in the slot outside he's doing end rounds they're getting him all over the place and you just watch him run and it just it looks different the 247 sports comparison for him by the way is Ceedee lamb so if that gives you any kind of idea as to what kind of player you know people think he could be um and then obviously you get to the number one player in the class you hear this a lot the 247 comparison for him you hear this a lot from people talking about him Julio Jones, like this is this is a dude who this is a number one receiver who if everything goes right, and not even if everything goes right, like if everything just goes like as you expect, this is a dude who will play 2024, in 2025, and in 2026, and in 2027, he is on a first round trajectory to say, you know what, this is gonna be the first or second receiver off the board in the NFL draft. Like that that is the level that we're talking about with Jeremiah Smith. So like all three of these dudes are bona fide freaks at the receiver position. And it's
0: just remarkable how good they are. Just to run down a little bit, cause I was there the day Mylon Graham became a known commodity in college football recruiting because him and Jermaine Matthews were at the same camp. This was June, 2022 and it's the second day camp of the summer. And Andrew, you get to do this now. It'll be fun. You get to see where these guys' origin stories come from sometimes. Jermaine Matthews at that point had shut down, was in the midst of starting to shut down his recruitment. He had set a recruit a commitment date and had decided, I'm not going to camp anywhere. And I'm just going to go with the offers I have, which was not an Ohio State football offer, by the way. He was a three-star recruit who was just kind of over the recruiting process and said, I'm going to commit. And that's that. I'm not going out there to try to win any more offers. And then Tim Walton called him up and was like, hey, man, come camp. I promise you it'd be worth your time. You should do this, yada, yada, yada. And so he showed up for that second day camp and he went bananas that whole day. I think he had one of the best camps I've seen. And there were people who have been covering this beat longer than me who agreed with that. Like, yeah, he might have had one of the best camps ever that Ohio State has seen. And what he did at that June 2nd camp paved the road for, he got an Ohio State offer. He committed a month later and he ended up being a top 50 recruit. And now he's in a position where, I mean, as we saw this year, he has stepped in on multiple occasions and looked kind of awesome. I mean, one of the first plays he made was a pick six early in the season. He, he stepped in for Denzel Burke as a starter against Penn State and played awesome. And that's a guy who we're expecting to be a starter next year, assuming that Denzel Burke leaves. We're expecting him to be a starting outside corner next year. It, and, but the guy he was going up against for a lot of that camp, and it was probably the best matchup of that afternoon, was Mylon Graham. Mylon Graham showed up as this guy nobody knew. He didn't have any offers. He was this young kid from the 2024 class. Not much knew about him. And he also had a day. There was a lot of people who were in offers that day. Garrett Stover and Aaron Scott, some of these guys we'll talk about in the defensive pod. They were at that, that camp too. This was a pretty loaded camp for Ohio State now that you look back on it. But Mylon Graham had a day, the entire day. And I think he's one of the best route runners in this class. And Brian Hartline, was the first person to offer him of any player, any coach, any school in the country. Brian Hartline got in on it first. And I remember he came back this summer for a camp. And I remember talking about, I was like, dude, this is like a whole different vibe for you. Last summer, nobody knew who you were. And you were like, who is that kid who's playing so awesome? And now you're here and you're a five-star recruit. And that's a guy where I wrote in a story at one point, Ohio State's other five-star receiver, because it does feel like that, right? Because what Jeremiah Smith is and just the attention that Jeremiah Smith gets, you do forget that Mylon Graham is a five-star, and this is a guy who's on a first-round trajectory as well in terms of when you look at recruiting rankings and stuff like that. Jeremiah McClellan is the other guy you mentioned. He he committed over the summer. We thought he maybe he would commit in spring, and he held off, and that's a guy maybe you want to watch for a little bit just because NIL, all this stuff does exist. But to your point, he's a top-50 recruit, and he's like an afterthought because there's right. two five-stars ahead of him. It's crazy. It's, it's- it's an interesting way to recruit the room. It's a this is a different level than I think we've seen in the last couple of years, though. Where, but a, a lot of that is what they're losing, right? You are coming off of this run at Ohio State of Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr., potentially Mecca Buka, all walking out of your door. That's five potential first round draft picks walking out of your door, and you've got to replenish that. And in twenty twenty two, you had maybe a lower rated class, so you weren't really expecting. A lot from there but in 2023 you get brandon dennis carnell tate in here uh, noah rogers bryson rogers is a lower rated guy with a pretty high ceiling and now you've gone back to back now with this another high-end class that basically replenishes the room to i just mentioned this loss is potentially losing five first round picks in three years so it's an impressive feat by brian hartline but it's also maybe a necessary one because you've got to find a way to replace that level of talent the thing that I wanted to
1: ask you about, because we have had this conversation, I believe we definitely have had it kind of off air, but we have also had it, I think, on on the pod. Like, at what point does Ohio State's success at receiver become a problem? Like, well, like I, and it sounds dumb to like to to, to people not listening, but like think about it. Ohio State's receiver room right now, let's just say the number the the starting three receivers next year, Carnell Tate's going to start number one bang layup easy check number one then you get into some questions where it's like all right like let's say it's brandon innis who's in who's in that starting trio and it's tate Innes. and do you want to say jeremiah smith
0: do you want to say ballard some of that's going to depend on a mecca if a mecca comes back if a mecca comes t- back tate, it's a mecca right yeah if, if a mecca comes back then it's tate for sure and it's a mecca and then the third is would probably depends on who they where they want to put a mecca right they want to put him in the slot or do they want to put him outside so let's say a
1: mecca does go pro though okay just to just to kind of give you the like the ultimate rebuild the room option like what like who is your like what is your trio at that point if a mecca Um, and marv go and then you're talking so you're talking tate you're talking innis and then you're talking jeremiah smith
0: yeah i mean that's what i would choose but i also understand that because of the way the schedule is, because you're in a 12-team playoff now, and because you can maybe you can, be a little bit more experimental, which is what we'll get into bit. when yeah. we talk about air, too. I think, well, no, it's not even you can slow play it. You can just kind of figure it out a little yeah. bit more. Because it's not like, oh, if you don't start Jeremiah Smith in year one, he's going to bolt. I mean, he's his his 7-on-7 seven seven teammates were Cardinal Tate and Brandon Innes, and both of those guys came here understanding they weren't going to play much in year one. Like, this is the room-wise it is. So... Now, if you want to tell me if Ohio State's playing in a national championship game next season, who are the starting trio? I mean, yeah, I would probably say Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, and Jeremiah Smith. But if you want to tell me that throughout the season, you're going to see different variations of Tate, Ennis, Smith, Jaden Ballard, Noah Rogers, Bryson Rogers. Uh, Kojo Antwi and Keon Gray, those two to a lesser extent, but some combination of all those guys in the room where maybe they can be a little bit deeper in the rotation early in the year. I'm I've come around on that idea because Jeremiah Smith, I think is going to be awesome. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they need him to be awesome. in week two, if he just in case it takes him a couple of weeks to get it the way that it does sometimes. I mean, Garrett Wilson wasn't completely awesome in week one as a true freshman. It, it just uh, over the year, it started to get better. And by the time you got to the Michigan game, he's sure. a 100-yard receiver. So I, I, I am open to the idea that there might just be a deeper rotation at the begin, within the first month of the year next season. Because the,
1: the reason that I say that is because like I, I wonder with this room, like if you're sitting there and you're Keon Grays or Kojo Antwi, like you were saying, and you're looking at a, a starting trio that's Brandon Innes, Carnell Tate, and Jeremiah Smith, that's second year, second year, first year. Those guys will Mm -hmm. be coming back in uh, assuming nobody transfers or or anything, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. Those guys will be coming back in 2025. And like, I I wonder when you're looking at that room, like if you're, you know, if you're a guy like that, or, you know, if, if you have a guy in the 2025 class that comes in and you're just like, whoa, like this dude, you know, this dude's another, maybe not Jeremiah Smith level player, but this dude's a dude who is going to start. Like, you know, what if, um, you know, you sign another, which I mean, what if you're probably going to your Ohio State, you sign another five star top yeah, ten receiver. Like, I wonder yeah. if 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 that's going to eventually start to shy guys away from coming yeah, to Ohio can, State because they're going to look at that room and be like, I ain't going to play there for four years.
0: Yeah. So let's I think that's a good question. And it applies to this room and it also applies to the quarterback room. OK, so I, I'm going to use me, both of those
1: an, on a, on a, an accidental pivot.
0: Well, no, it's not really a pivot. I just think it's a, those two rooms are operating at a different level of recruiting while also being a position where there's only so many spots, right? Mm-hmm. Like a defensive line, you can bring in every five star in the world because you're rotating anyway. Yeah. At corner, I mean, we've seen Ohio State rotate at corner. In 2016, they were rotating three first rounders, <laughs> you know? So it's, it can happen. There's more, there's more options with those spots. They've really only played three consistently. In the Ryan Day era, when it comes to wide receivers, even if they want to have six who are ready to go, this is the deepest they've gone this year with going to four. And they probably would have gone to four last year at Jackson Smith, the jig, but gotten hurt because I think we had been talking about how it was probably going to be some level of a rotation with Emeka and Julian at least early in the season. And then quarterback, you only play one quarterback. You're yep, not right. playing two quarterbacks all year. It's not happening. Mm-hmm. So your question is like, when that's the reality and you're recruiting the room, this highly eventually you're gonna have a cycle where you just don't hit on top guys right right well for quarterback that happened in 2023 if we're being real yeah, that's fair. all the top guys said no for a variety of reasons whether you're talking about arch manning who was never coming north and is never coming north unless he gets drafted by a northern team like his uncles did and then Dante Miller. Oh, even, even then,
1: Eli told the Northern he, team to Eli told the Northern he, team. He, he told the
0: nah. Northern team no for another Northern team, <laughs> though, at least. But it's it just, the, the, it wasn't clicking with some of those top tier guys. And so they did start looking for a different option a guy who understood that, okay, you're going to have to play the long game here because you're not getting on the field in year two. And that's why they ended up with um, Brock. Who was Florida State's backup quarterback who started in the in the Van ACC Grimm. championship yeah. game? No, not Van, no, that's oh not, no,
1: not Vander. Uh, I was the, that's
0: the Georgia guy. Um,
1: I know who you're talking about.
0: Yeah, so that's how they ended up with him first, and then they 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 flipped off. They moved away from that one. That seemed like a mutual parting of ways, and they ended with Lincoln Keenholes, who they're really high on, as we've talked about. But there's not an next. I don't. There wasn't at least an expectation for him to be ready to go in year two. Maybe that's changed over time here, but that was the plan, a long-term plan. So to your point, in the quarterback room, eventually the top-tier guys did say no. In the wide receiver room, they kind of did, too. I think Caleb, in that 2023 class, Caleb Burton was the number one receiver in the country at the time that he committed to Ohio State. And then injuries got in the way... And it kind of derailed his career there. But if you go look at how those guys ended in that 2022 class, excuse me, not 2023, Kojo Antwi is not a top 100 recruit. Keon Graves was kind of a late bloomer. And then Caleb Brown is like the highest rated guy in that class. But there weren't, there's not five stars in that class, right? That class, that 2022 class just always has felt like they have been on a different trajectory while also... It's never felt like they were even close to getting on the field the last two years, the way we've seen other freshman classes at wide receiver get on the field. So I don't I think it's probably just fair to answer your question. Every two or three years, you just might get a class where because of what your rooms look look like, the top guys aren't as receptive to it. And I think that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. That's when you go get your class of guys because you gotta have depth in the room, right? Yeah, you gotta right. have you gotta have, have special You gotta have, yeah not even specialists like you everybody can't be on a three and done trajectory that's right. not normal in college well, somebody's got to play special teams and receivers play special teams, teams. well no it's just somebody's got to be Terry McLaurin where Terry yeah. McLaurin needed five years of college football Paris Campbell needed five years of college football everybody can't be Joe Burrow was in college for five years like everybody can't be on the Marvin Harrison Jr., Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, the Jigba plan. Chris Olave was here for four years. Like, so you got to have a variety of that. So when you get to those classes where maybe the top guys aren't as receptive, that's what you do. You offset it with these guys where they're not on three-year plans, they're on four-year plans, or maybe even five-year plans. So I, I think that, that's how you answer that question, to answer your question of, yes, everybody wants the three-and-done guys. But if you've got nine three-and-done guys in your room, then everything has to go perfect, yeah. right? Right. Because if everybody's on a three and done trajectory, what ends up happening is Chris Olave comes back for year four and Jamison Williams goes in the portal. Right. So that and so there is that there's your answer. So that's why you've got to have a variety of that's that's roster management, which is the most interesting thing about recruiting is how you go about it in every cycle. I think this 2024 class obviously is a high end class. This 2025 class this next year might not be. It might look similar to this 2022 class for Brian Hartline. But then you get to the 2026 class where you've already got Chris Henry Jr. committed. That's when you might go crazy again with it. So that's, it's, what do you do? Your, your question is, what do you do when the top guys eventually say no? Well, you build around that and you make sure they're not saying no in every cycle. And that's what Brian Hartline has done with that wide receiver room. We're going to take one last break here and then we'll get in the air. Mr. Prentice Aaron Nolan as Ohio State's five-star quarterback, where <laughs> I actually have an interesting point I want to bring up. So I'll, I'll, let's go to break and we'll come back and we'll get into that. So the one person we haven't talked about in terms of Ohio State's offensive commits for his 2024 recruiting class, once again, the number two class in the country behind Georgia is Air Nolan, five-star, number 36 player, number four, Four quarterback in the country, excuse me. Andrew, do you think this guy, when you look at the room right now, with Kyle McCord now headed off to Syracuse as that news broke on Sunday afternoon, Devin Brown, Lincoln Keenholz, Aaron Nolan. That's the room expected right now when they hit January. Can a guy of Aaron Nolan's talent win the starting job? Like if if we get to the end of next season and Aaron Nolan is the starting quarterback, on a scale of 1 to 10, how shocked would you be?
1: One being, I expect it, ten being this is the most surprising thing I've ever seen. I'm probably yes. at like a six or a seven um, in terms of like how I would, you know, how I would kind of view that. Look, guys like Aaron Noland see the field at most programs. Ohio State is not most programs. <laughs> Um, you know, guy, you know, he's the number three in terms of the composite rankings. He's the number 36 overall player. He's a five star. He's the number four quarterback, number six player in the state of Georgia, another football rich state. Um, the thing I do think that helps out air would be like, let's say Ohio state had their 2023 schedule in 2024. The thing that helps out air is certainly the schedule. Ohio State hosts two max schools, Akron and Western Michigan, and then you get a bye week. And then you come out of the bye week and you play Marshall, and then you go to Michigan State and then you host Iowa, and you don't play Oregon until October 12th. You don't have to go to Eugene until, you know, the second week of October. So, the thing that I would look at there is that you're going to play two games against max schools, you have a bye week, you have a little four-game season, and then you have a bye week. And then you get into the meat of your Big Ten schedule on Saturday, October 26th against Nebraska. And I I think that it buys him some time. I think that it gives you some time because – let's say Devin Brown is your guy and you, you know, the offense isn't really playing that well and you lose at Oregon, for example, and you're kind of sputtering a little bit and you're like, well, look, we, we need a spark and Eric can give it to us. I think that it gives you that time. If if you were playing this schedule in 2023, you were saying, absolutely not. Aaron Nolan cannot see the field because we got to beat Notre Dame and Notre Dame's got a really good defense. We can't do this. So I think the schedule certainly plays it out. So I, I'm not going to look at this and see Aaron Nolan would be, it would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't totally floor me if he's a starting quarterback for the Michigan game, but it would surprise me pretty significantly if he was just because I think he's, he would have to pass Keenholtz, He would have to pass Devin Brown. I mean, maybe there's a transfer en route. We don't know. He would have to do a couple of different things that are unique and, and that are kind of surprising. Um, you do look at this quarterback room and you're like, Hey, you know what? You know, um, you know, I think that he's a player of, of that caliber that can do it. Um, I'm just, I, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's so hard for quarterbacks to come in, um, come in and see it. And, and again, this is another look every, every kind of decision, I think from here on out, especially after the McCord situation is going to be a referendum on Ryan day. And I mean, the, there are eight quarterbacks in the two, four, seven composite rankings that are in the top a hundred. And Ethan Grunkmeyer, he's going to Penn State. He goes to Olin Tangy in Lewis Center. He's right down the road, and he's going to Penn State. And I understand that he might not fit the system. I understand that. I'm just saying the like he's a Columbus kid that you basically said, no, nah, we're good, and we're going to take Aaron Nolan. And they did the right thing. And I, I would have taken Aaron Olin over Ethan Gronkmeyer too. Uh, Jaden Davis, another top 100 player, going to Michigan. CJ Carr, top 100 player, going to Notre Dame. Uh, it- Notre Dame's not in the Big Ten, but he's a school that you're kind of in the same ballpark as. Uh, Luke Croman Hoke. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, um, but he's going to Florida State. Uh, then you get Air. DJ Lagway from Texas. He's going to Florida. Dylan Rayola is probably, it sounds like you read some stuff. It sounds like he might end up at Nebraska. I mean, he's the number six player in the country. And then you get Julian saying uh, number five player in the country, going to Alabama. Like, There's a lot of quarterbacks in this room that are going to be in the Big Ten or in kind of the ballpark that Ohio State wants to recruit against and beat these teams on the field. So this is going to be a big deal for Aaron Noland, and, and this is a big deal for Ohio State that Aaron Nolan plays well because there are a lot of quarterbacks that you, you – I mean you just – you didn't have the McCord situation work out, and now you need to have a quarterback situation work out. And and I think it starts with Aaron Nolan, and and I think you watch him play. I mean, God, he's he's just he's got an elusiveness to him and a calmness to him that is really rare for a high school kid. You watch him play and you watch him throw. When things break down and when the bullets are flying, you don't see him panic. You just see him kind of just calmly roll out of the pocket, look, keep his eyes down the field. He's just he's got a lot of admirable traits you look at in a quarterback, and I, I I'm I'm excited to see him play. I just don't know if it's
0: gonna be starter quality in year one. He's left-handed CJ Stroud. Shout out left-handed. And I'm not right. saying and I'm not saying that as in like, oh, he's gonna be as good as CJ. I'm saying the his play style is if CJ Stroud was left-handed. He's a mind, he can see the field, he's super accurate with the ball, he throws a wide receiver's dream in terms of touch. And all that stuff. And I'm only asking that question about him starting in year one. CJ Stroud was never going to start in year one. You had a first-round quarterback, Heisman Trophy finalist quarterback coming back. The room just presents the opportunity mixed with a guy who's talented enough to be to put himself in the position, even if it doesn't happen. That's the one thing I want to talk about with Aaron Nolan. The other thing, before we get into that, since you just listed off all those quarterbacks, you basically just listed off how Aaron Nolan <laughs> became Ohio State starting quarterback. Yeah, right. Jaden Davis was the first person who obviously has headed to Michigan, was the first person to get the tag. Future Ohio State 2024 quarterback commit. And obviously that never happened. It never turned into much of anything because not soon after maybe like six months after that, Dylan Rayola came along as the first commit in this twenty twenty four class. In fact, now he's one of three D commits that they've had. Mark Knave, who we mentioned earlier, who's now at Kentucky and then you lost Justin Scott, who we'll talk about more on the defensive pod, who flipped to Miami. But Dylan Rayola Committed to Ohio State first. First committed the class, started off the class, was in the class for about six months. And then I think think 24 hours after Jeremiah Smith committed to Ohio State, because I remember tweeting it out. Ohio State has the top two players in the country committed. I'm pretty sure 24 hours, or maybe it was like 72 hours, but in the same week, Dylan Rayola decommitted from Ohio State. And obviously he ends up committing to Georgia, but as Andrew mentioned, there's now, you know, some momentum saying that he might end up at Nebraska, which he is a legacy kid there. His dad, Dominic played center there as an all American. His uncle is currently the offensive line coach there. So there's a huge family ties to where even before he committed to Georgia, there was an idea that, Hey, maybe he might end up at Nebraska. So we'll see what happens with that one. So, but the point I'm bringing up with that is Dylan Rayola decommits and puts Ohio state back in the market, looking for a quarterback. They reached out to Julian Sand, who they offered, I think in January of this year, because they needed a quarterback again, but he was committed to Alabama, and I remember asking him about. He's like, "Yeah, this is a cool offer, but I'm not, I'm not <laughs> flipping from Bama, man. I'm not." In so many words, that's what he said, and then he still hasn't flipped from Bama. In fact, I'm pretty sure he told me he wasn't going to visit any place that wasn't Tuscaloosa, and I don't think he did that either. It's a kid from California, DJ Lagway, as you mentioned, has been committed to Florida for some time. CJ Carr, the grandson of Lloyd Carr who didn't go to Michigan. He went to Notre Dame, so that put... Hilarious and then that obviously, the grandson of Lloyd Carr isn't going to Michigan, by the way. I know, it's, 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 it, was, it was a funny thing when it happened, I think, like two summers ago. But Aaron Nolan, they had been in contact with Aaron since he was a sophomore in high school, I believe. They just obviously went with Dylan Rayola first, but kept that relationship going, officially offered him in April, and then two weeks after he took that unofficial visit and earned that offer, he committed, and has since turned himself into a five-star recruit. One theory thing, and then we're going to close this off because that got longer than I wanted. I thought it was going to get. And as a matter of fact, no, we're going to end there. I'm going to save this conversation because we're going to talk with Ryan Day on Wednesday for signing day. So I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up to you and Nathan on the Thursday pod, this five-star quarterback thing that I've had kicking in my head for a couple of weeks here. So I, we'll wait on that. that. That'll wrap up this offensive recruiting pod. One more thing, actually. Outside of Jordan Lyle, Andrew, is there anybody else that people should be worried about in terms of potential flips 48 hours until signing day?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, ready for Ohio State fans to uh, come after me with this one, but do not be worried about a Jeremiah Smith flip. Do not be worried about a Jeremiah Smith flip. I'm just waiting for uh, old takes exposed there, so I'm tempting fate, um, but that's a guy who has always felt like, hey, Brian Hartline and Ryan, like he said this on record. Brian Hartline and Ryan Day are there. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool. Um, so I, I wouldn't. So I, I, know that's the one that everybody's worried about, but I, w- I wouldn't be concerned with, um, with anybody on this list. I mean, you look at some of the positions and kind of where these guys are from, and nothing would really kind of worry me at, at this point. So I, I, think that this class outside of Jordan Lyle is pretty much set on the offensive side of the ball.
0: So get the tech six one four three five zero three three one five as we get close to signing day, as we get to signing day. We'll be sending out the text, man. As guys are rolling in with their letters of intent, we'll be sending out the text. And when we talk with Ryan Day on Wednesday, we'll be sending out the text. In fact, when we're in the grocery store and news breaks, we'll be sending out the text. Don't tempt fate like that, Steven. We did over the weekend. I had to send out the text. I know. I would just rather be
1: seated at at my laptop and not grocery shopping when something breaks.
0: Yeah, but that's life, man. That's how much we care, people. No matter where we're at, we're going to be sending out the text. 614-350-3315. Two-week free trial. 3 99. After that, this was the offensive recruiting pod. We'll be doing the defense on Thursday and then talking with Ryan Day on Wednesday. So for Andrew Gillis, I am Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.